when you break your foot, you go to your doctor and you get a cast and you get healed, but there's no stigma attached to it. You just broke your foot. But when you have money problems, the feelings of shame, embarrassment, stupidity, worthlessness, hopelessness, it's awful. And that's what spirals people into staying isolated and not getting the help. Respectfully, I don't want a 20 year relationship with a client. It clearly means I'm not doing my job. Like we want them to figure it out and be happy and move on. Hopefully they have fond thoughts of us, but move on and have a happy life. That's success. It's about taking the responsibility that you financially can afford to. Sometimes that is paying it all and paying with interest. Fair enough. That was the agreement. But sometimes life gets in the way. So maybe, you know, if we go down the line of intervention, maybe the next is you can pay 100% of the principal, like a debt management program, but you need a break on the interest rates. And maybe you can't pay, you know, in your example, you can't pay the 40000 but you can pay fifteen over the course of five years. Okay, that's still taking responsibility. And sometimes that's the only option, and that's okay. This is the Personal Finance Show. Hi, I'm Bo Humphreys, and this is the Personal Finance Show. Stacy Yanchuk Alexi wants you to see a nonprofit credit counselor if you have credit problems. Stacy is director of education and community awareness at the Credit Counseling Society. If you've listened to episode 76 of the show, you know that I had credit problems 11 years ago. I filed the consumer proposal with the licensed insolvency trustee under the Bankruptcy and Insolvency Act of Canada. My case was severe, so I skipped the first step that many may take, and that's going to see a credit counselor first to discuss options. There are a lot of great people out there looking to actually help you get out of debt. Whether you see a counselor or a trustee, most will help you make the right move for your debt situation. As Stacy and I discussed in the interview, just make sure that you don't pay anything up front for debt solutions, and don't just click on the first link in the online search. There are websites and companies that appear to be offering debt settlement solutions, but they are just payday lenders in disguise. Make sure you find out about the company that you're dealing with. Legitimate trustees and nonprofit credit counselors have nothing to hide. They have names of staff and locations, and they're active on social media. Stacy is very proud of the free workshops and educational resources that the Credit Counseling Society provides in order to try to prevent Canadians from getting into unmanageable debt in the first place. The most important thing to me is that you know what your options are when you're in trouble. And I fully recommend you take advantage of free consultations with as many organizations as you can handle. Go meet them in person and talk to them about solutions. Everyone's situation is different, and the more information you have from multiple sources, the better you will be at determining which solution works for you, and more importantly, the one you can live with. Stacy joined me in the studio in Hamilton to tell her personal finance story. grew up in rural Alberta and we didn't have allowances so money just really wasn't talked about like my family didn't talk about money at all oh really yeah yeah, yeah which is very strange so uh, you know your parents are doing something for work but yeah. you don't know like yeah. if they're getting paid and food I knew on that the they table. were getting paid and I knew okay. that they yeah, you were knew that. they were hard workers yeah and 
they were also in business. So when I got older, that's when I started to develop this sense of money. And I think yeah. it really started when I started my first little job, which was babysitting, you know, kids in the community. Okay. So you're like a preteen or a teen? <laughs> I'm a preteen. Yeah, yeah. I'm probably 12-ish yeah. by then. And I had, ca- well, I mean, back then it was cash, right? So mm. like cash, like, what do you do with this? Like, this is my cash that I earned. You've so, never really had to spend anything up until now? No. Like you need I, something, you're like, mom and dad, I would like that. Yeah. No, I don't have children of my own, but I understand that, you know, some parents will say, this kid's a saver and this kid's a spender, you yeah. know, like almost yeah. like a genetic pre It does. I do feel like it comes, you know, it's not like a parent influence. Mm-hmm. Part of it is just you and your personality from birth almost well and I I believe that and I'm not a big consumer like I I have stuff I mean I'm certainly not a Luddite yeah (laughs) (laughs) I do have stuff but you know I've never been big on buying stuff it doesn't give I don't get a charge out of buying stuff in fact it creates a bit of you know, angst and yeah. Pain. Oh, I gotta trade yeah. my well hard-earned money for this thing. Yeah, yeah. So you're more on that side of it. I, I was. So I, you know, I well, I had toys to play with. We lived out in on an acreage. We lived on a couple of acres. So really, yeah. it was go outside and play. Okay. Um. So you know, money really wasn't a big thing until I started making my own. Uh. And as soon as I made my first, you know, twenty, then I got to start paying for some things. And not, you know, the basics. My parents were very yeah. gracious about that, but. You want something new, then you get to pay for it. And you want okay. these clothes, then you get to pay for it. Save up and pay. Yeah, so do you have a memory of something that you might have bought or saved oh, up for? I do. <laughs> I <laughs> love music. Like I'm, yeah. you know, I figure in my retirement, I want to get a PhD and like, I I heard um, ethnomusicology. I don't even know what that means. Yeah. But I figure I want to like study Nina Simone and just like get a PhD or something. Because sure. I love music. And so my first big purchase that I saved money for was... It was a stereo system, nice. and it had the two cassette players, because back then we were still making mixtapes. Double tapes. cassettes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you could dub uh, right? one to the next. Oh, yeah. yeah, and we used to do it old school, where you'd cut the cassette, you know, what is that, the ribbon? Really? And then, you, oh, yeah, and then you'd tape it together. You never did that? I never did. Do, you could do that? I, w- oh, I would have yes. been so afraid to do no, it No, you can hear the right it. There's a, little brrr, you know, there's a little skip on the tape, but... Oh, yes. You could do that one little piece of tape around and wow. then. Oh, okay. Yeah. Or you'd be like pushing stop and record or you'd record off the radio. It's so. Well, yeah, I remember that stuff, mm. but I never did get the cut. And, oh, that would have been interesting. I mean, I don't have a lot of talent and a lot of things, but I got to <laughs> tell you, Bo, I am like amazing at making playlists. You perfected the playlist. I, I'm a really You great started player. at 12 or 13. Right. Or... So <laughs> I think I started that earlier, but I remember saving money in. I was in my teens already because I was working. Yeah. Um, I was working at Kentucky Fried Chicken. Oh, oh God! I don't know if you're allowed to even say that now. It's <laughs> K- KFC. Uh, if KFC. you legally, you can't say oh, chicken. Is it really? I don't know. Okay. I think they changed it for that reason. I don't know. You that's see? made. That could be one of the urban legends. It's like oh they can't God. say chicken because it's not chicken or something like that. Oh, that's but so funny. I know they did rebrand. Like yeah, you don't see old... really see the full words anymore. Nope. So tell us the secrets. What uh... <laughs> the secret is. Yeah. Well, I'm guessing there's obviously there's the spice, the spice blend. Yes. Oh God. I just smell like, like burnt and deep fried chicken. Fried food. Everything's fried. Yeah. And yeah. even that, like what, what would have been a vegetable, a coleslaw. The maybe. coleslaw was a vegetable. That was it. And the macaroni salad had like pieces of carrot. I think they were maybe <laughs> genetically carrot. I don't know. But yeah, so, they look like carrot. They looked like carrot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> carrot facsimile. Right. So how long did you work there? I worked there. Well, I was, I was in high school. I think it was about grade 10. So probably a good year, year or two. Nice. Yeah. You know what? I mean, uh, you know, I was thinking lots of, you know, kids are 
we're all born with certain things, right? Some people are born with beauty. Some people are born into riches. Some people are born with tremendous talent. And I was born with a hard work ethic okay, and a good attitude. So that's that's my ticket. So you, <laughs> so you did the babysitting. I did. And then KFC. So you probably got... A lot of early experience with customer service. Did you drive did. through or like front? Uh, we didn't cash? have drive through. Oh back no, then. drive through back well, then. At least at the KFC I worked at, and I worked actually. I remember after babysitting, my mom and dad were in business together, hmm. and my mom was the receptionist, and she decided, lucky woman, got to take the summer off. Okay. So I got to go fill in for her job. Oh great. Oh my god! I mean, it's really where I develop my love of like office supplies, like pencils. I have a pencil problem. <laughs> <laughs> if you see in my purse, I have a pencil case. Really? With pencils. So pencils, I, not pens. I I'll take pencils pens, pens from hotels to give out to like yes. participants when I teach a workshop. Okay. But I ask for my pencils back. I like okay. I hoard like two things. It's chapstick and pencils. Well, I need to drill down on this. So are we? <laughs> Like to lay on my couch and let's talk about that. Well, we used to exactly, exactly. Let's talk about pencils. Yeah. So, like, are you going and buying expensive pencils? Oh no, 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 no. no. They okay. are cheap as borscht. Okay. Yeah. No, I. But, um, but so, what do you? What is it about pencils that I can change my mind? Yeah. I can oh. erase and change my mind. I like that. Yeah. I also like the feel of the pencil on paper sure. better than pen. But I really love. I love being able to change my mind and erase what I wrote. And so you still write with pencils? I do all the time. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Like it's hard to find people who write at all. Oh, I know. First of all, <laughs> and yeah. then with with uh, with pencils. Well, that's fascinating to me. Yeah. And so, <laughs> so you you got uh, obsessed with pencils mm-hmm. uh, at an early yes. early age. Did this have to do with KFC or, did, or no? You? No, it had to do with you know being my dad's receptionist. That right? Receptionist. So I got to like yes. type on things and organize sticky notes and touch pencils and pens and just organize the office. So you drawer. love office supplies really and administration oh, and that kind of stuff. <laughs> well, that's really good that you got that opportunity early yeah. because you might not have, you know, been exposed to that till after say university maybe until oh, absolutely. You, you, maybe you got an office job to start yeah. in the workforce. So now you have this taste of like, I like administration, but just for a summer? Yeah, I did that for a summer um, to cover off my mom. And then I was lucky enough. Now we're, I'm bouncing all over the place. But yeah. then in high school, no, I was junior high moving into high school. I actually um, volunteered for summer as a leader in training in LIT for Parks and Recreation. And then the next summer I applied for a job like a job as the camp counselor and I got the job. So this is outside. This is not in an office no, at all. No. So you like the office, but you also like being outdoors. Yeah. I I was, yeah. yeah. And you know, it wasn't the office per se. Honestly, it was the office supplies. And I got to work with my dad. I and see. it was a it was a, a welding shop. So Yeah, I was going to ask yeah. you what what business it was. Yeah, it was so welding. You're like this is I think this is unique cuz mm-hmm. you're not really loving like pushing the papers. You're liking the materials. <laughs> Really do. Yeah. I like that. I mean, we all have, you know, there's certain things that mm-hmm. the right tools, right? Yes. I, I always go mm-hmm. like we always need the right tools to oh, do yeah. anything. Like yeah. Cooking. Cooking yeah. is a perfect example, yes. right? If I don't have the right tools to make mm-hmm. pie crusts or or even a pan. Like if, you, if you've always just had a pan that burns all the time, yeah. you're probably going to hate food. Oh, yeah. Right? So you and f- hate cooking. And hate, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have the office supplies, but you're not like bound in the office. You're not hiding away. You're not uh, looking to sit behind a desk. No. You ran out and explored. So yeah. how was the can- canceling? Oh, best job. Best really? job. I'm mean, not so much, not best job now. I mean, I have a pretty cool gig now. Yeah, sure. sure. But I mean, as a teenager, and I was getting paid call it 10-ish. When I hit Parks and Rec with the city of Edmonton, so I was out in the country 
And then I, once I got my license, I got to go with City of Edmonton, and I was making ten bucks an hour back then. Minimum wage was five ish. Okay, yeah. So we were making pretty. Can decent. you give us a date? Uh... Oh yeah, I graduated high school in '92, so yeah, it would have been back in the late '80s, early yeah. '90s. Oh, and it was such a great gig. I got to be outside all the time, mm-hmm. and I got to play with kids, and I had really great colleagues. And that, I mean, so many jobs taught me so many things, right? Yeah. From like KFC, which was. You know, bless them. It was a good job for high school, like a teenager. (laughs) Yeah. But I smelled like chicken all the time. Of course. And I didn't eat KFC for years. No way. (laughs) But you do like like chicken. Uh, Yeah, Yeah. now I do. It's probably worse for like if you're a vegetarian and having to work KFC. I don't know. That sounds like torture, but. That sounds terrible. (laughs) Yeah. But it even turned you off of uh, like any fried chicken. It did for a while. Yeah. Um, But what I learned is customer service, right? I mean, and especially, and then being my dad's receptionist, you know, again, customer service answer the phone, developing telephone manner. So welding, uh, what w- what were the customers like? Were so they individuals or businesses both. or both? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Not that I knew anything about the business. I no. mean, I learned how to weld and grind and do all that stuff, um, which That's is very great cool. Skill. Yeah, it was really cool. Like, can you, could you weld something now? I, I have a nameplate. I'm, oh, let's be clear. I'm not, <laughs> I'm terrible. It. Yeah, but, but miles above yeah. me, for example. <laughs> but I, you know, I come from a welding family. Like I've got uncles that are welders. Okay. My dad was. My brother is. Yeah, so I come from a trades family. So yeah, I have a nameplate that I welded, and it's got Stacy on it, and that's I welded awesome. the two sides together, so it stands up. I can't even imagine how that's done. Yeah, it but, was pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have a whole other episode yeah. about welding <laughs> and how to you know weld your name into things. Yeah. Or uh, that's that's pretty cool. So the KFC taught you the customer service. Yeah. And you're the camp counselor, you're learning about the world mm-hmm. and learning about working with kids and just maybe organization. You know what? Truly, I mean, that's really where I started doing program development okay. because I had to develop, <clears throat> the kids were with us, you know, every day for the week. So you had to develop a program plan for the week and then that included a sleepover. And yeah. as much as I love free play, yeah. you don't do free play for five days. So program development, I mean, a lot of people have to do this in their jobs. Mm-hmm. You're basically like, well, how would you describe it? It's like you're scheduling things that might be engaging and entertaining for people. Is That's that exactly kind of it. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, what I would do is do a schedule of Monday to Friday, AM and PM, yep. and then start plunking in, you know, structured activities. So canoeing or campfire or whatever. And then for the unstructured stuff, then you start planning games and activities and that kind of thing. So yeah, learned, I learned a lot from doing that and it was a great time. Yeah. yeah it was such a fun job. And, and what it did is it allowed me to pay for, you know, college and university. Yeah, I was going to jump to, to your personal finances <coughs> mm-hmm. at this point. So you're, you're saving money. You're probably spending the early babysitting mm-hmm. money sure. on yep. things. Mm-hmm. And, but do you remember the point where you started to save? Was it during these summer jobs? It would be summer jobs. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Because I was, and back then, and granted, that's a while ago, but tuition was not, was not what it is today. No. I mean, it's so expensive for students nowadays. But I was able to work every summer for four months, and that would cover my tuition for the next eight months. And then I would work during the school year to pay for gas money and coffee money or whatever money. That's great. Yeah. I don't know that you can do that right now. It depends, what right? What summer job you got and how much you're willing to work during the sure. year. Sure. And if your parents have helped you with RESPs, and and I was really privileged, Bo. I got yeah. to live at home with my parents. Okay, so right? that's good. That that saved me from student loans. I always promote that because the stigma around e- even going back to live with your parents after, like it's some kind of failure mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. We need to be like look at our situation and say, 
would it really benefit me in my in you know, the next twenty years if I spent you know like this time at home and are my parents okay with it and is everybody happy mm-hmm. about it? Then fine. Like don't let the stigma drive you, right? I agree. And I was you know again I was really lucky. I mean you know I've heard the uh, theory you know before you're born you choose your parents and yeah. you know I, <laughs> if that's true I made a pretty decent decision. Well, good, good. Yeah, I I was lucky. I had great parents who very much promoted post-secondary education. My mom was a nurse and my dad was a welder. And when the business, you know, they had had a couple of businesses and when they had failed, you know, they actually went back to their respective professions and, you know, put food on the table for us. So they had, they both had like actual physical, practical work they could do. So he could go do welding for somebody else. Mm -hmm. If the welding business that he was in was not working very well and she could go do nursing, but I guess they combined their efforts for the reception slash when the business was. That's right. Yeah, so uh, they they taught you, well, you said you had a good work ethic, whether it's genetic, and it I, seems like partially from them. Oh, I not, think, let's be honest, yeah. I think it's mostly from okay. them. Yeah. yeah, and they taught me a good work ethic. And I remember my mom said to me, you know, with the, fi- you know, the mom finger out, <laughs> and she said, you know, little girl, my job is to make you an independent woman so you don't have to depend on a man for money. Love it. And, love you know, that. that was pretty progressive back That's then. That's a good early uh, lesson. It was. Absolutely. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, she told me a couple other lessons <laughs> that are maybe not fit for public consumption. But, sure. Um, you know, that was a great lesson. To be clear, it's not about hating men or not no, loving no, men. Or no, like, no. like, I'm happily married to a great guy. Yeah. But I appreciate that I'm I'm in it because I want to be. I'm not in it because I'm fiscally, like, I'm, I need to be here financially. That's right. And I, I mean, I've probably said this too many times. I, I always go back to the movie Mona Lisa Smile with Julia Roberts, mm-hmm. where the one character gets into, I think she gets into law school or med school. One of the two, either way. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic for her. But she decides to stay home and be the housewife mm-hmm. of the time. It's like 60s, 50s, 60s, I think, right? Right. And and Julia Roberts is like, what, what are you doing? Like, you could go and ha- do this. And she's like, well, you know, I know that I can, mm-hmm. and I'm making the choice. Yeah. And as long as it's somebody's choice, then that's exactly what you said, right? Mm-hmm. It's, I just, you know, the, this whole patriarchy thing that's been forced upon everybody, I just don't want people to think of it as the default and the thing that they have to do. It's you can choose to do whatever you like, right? Well, I was out for uh, lunch with a girlfriend, and she was saying, actually, it was this weekend, and she said, you know, I just want to stay at home and you know make dinner and you know have my home. And I know I'm throwing back women, you know, fifty years. I'm like, actually, no, you're not. No, if you are choosing that, that's the point, right? We that's feminism. That. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> is you get to choose. It, the feminism is a choice. The feminism right. is equality. It's not putting one above the other. No, it's not you know putting down anyone. It's just trying to elevate mm-hmm. everybody to the same level. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I, 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 I like that. I like talking about feminism. Yeah. And I like that you got those lessons so early and that you had a very strong, independent uh, mother or, oh, yeah. you know, who wanted to convey that to you at least. Oh, I was so lucky to have her as a mom. And then my dad, I would actually say, was probably more of a feminist than she was, ironically. Sure. Great. Because especially with, you know, having a welding shop and then he had an oil chain shop, it was just you're going to work here and you're going to figure out how to do this and I'm going to teach you. So I remember once, it was actually after my mom passed away, we were welding, I think they were called pressure vessels at the time. And, you know, I had to get on the grinder and, you know, I've got two feet in a heartbeat, so I'm getting on the grinder. Sure. And then like the miter saw, and I had some male relatives that said like, well, we can't teach you. You're a girl. And my dad's Mm. like, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. This is how you use the saw. How does gender affect your ability (laughs) to to do that, right? Because, you know, a lot of parents might, or uh, of that generation Mm -hmm. anyway, might have 
felt, felt like they were protecting their mm-hmm. kids sure. by saying, oh, you know, we'll, we'll take care of everything. Mm-hmm. But it, it doesn't really help, no. right? No. you got to throw them into the fire. Well, and it's the analogy of the butterfly, right? The butterfly that's still in the cocoon needs to work its way out of the cocoon mm-hmm. by work and moving its muscles. If it doesn't, or we help it by opening up the cocoon, it oh, dies, yeah, it right? Dies. It becomes prey because it doesn't have the muscles to to spread open its, it's wings. It's got to work. Okay. So to me, I, I see that as, you know, and I think the butterfly analogy is so overused, like the word empowerment, right? But, so it's not that, but it, to me it's about, yeah, sometimes you got to struggle and you need to do your own struggle to build your muscle so that you do fly wherever you want to go. Yeah. Yeah, so I was lucky that I had parents that didn't try and solve my problems. Um, they made, you know, they, they coached me or taught me how to solve my own. And that doesn't mean I don't need help sometimes, but I know when I need to ask. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I was pretty lucky that way. So where did you go to school and what'd you take? I went to, I wanted to be a doctor when I was a okay. little girl. So yeah. I went in the science program at the University of Alberta. So in Edmonton. Actually, forgive me. I went to college first, Grant McEwen College, which is now McEwen University. Okay. Did my first year there in sciences and, um, and that was a lot of fun, but it was really hard. Um, so then I moved over to the University of Alberta into environmental science. Okay. And that really didn't land. I mean, I can appreciate the program and all yeah. that, but it just didn't, it wasn't my fit. And it actually it was my mom saying, you know, Stacy, <laughs> maybe you need to think about what you want to do. And this isn't it. Like you're not happy. It's not vibing for you. So you're better with people. Maybe you should try and help people. I'm like, Boom. Like that was just this light. I, and I don't know if I needed permission or or what it was. But then I moved into finally into what's called a human ecology degree. Okay. So it used to be the old home economics. Sure. Um, which, of course, the joke is, oh, look, you have a degree in cooking and cleaning. Well, a uh, degree in home economics is so useful. I know somebody who's she's <laughs> yeah. in her 80s right now yeah. and she just knows how to do everything. So oh, yeah, I wouldn't. But yeah, human yeah. ecology was an evolution of that. It program. was. It was because home economics is very, um, you know, Gender segregated yeah. to women, of course. It's a very housewife type of... It is, and it's yeah. cooking, cleaning. Well, it's not really cleaning, but it's cooking, sewing. And for me, I did uh, a major in family studies. Yeah. Yeah, so that was um, it was a lot of... that. As soon as I landed into that program, I knew that that's where my home was. Was there a goal for what kind of employment you would get or just I figured idea? I'd be a social worker. Sure, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I figured I'd do um, protective services, you know, back home in Alberta. But it didn't, you know, it always works out as it's meant to. And that didn't work out um, because after my degree, my mom passed away the last day of my last year. Oh, no. Yeah. um, She passed away very quickly. um, Mm. But at least she didn't suffer. So that's that's positive. But I wasn't ready to go be a social worker somewhere in Alberta. And so I moved straight into grad school and did my master's degree. Nice. And um, did my master's degree, and uh, well, then I met my husband, yeah. and um, I moved out after my coursework. To uh, we got married, and I moved out to BC, and that's really where I would say the the money kicked in, you know, and life kicked in because I was twenty four, going on I think twelve mentally some days, yeah. and not in terms of a marriage, but just like I didn't know what I was doing. I don't You're know just how floating still. Your master's yeah. was in what? It was in uh, family ecology. Okay, yeah, yeah. So it's a master's of science. And do you ha- do you have to pay for that, or did somebody sponsor you for that? No, I um, I paid for that. Yeah. yeah, I got a couple of scholarships, but um, yeah, no. Again, it was working every summer. 
Um, and then I was a research assistant and a teaching assistant during. So you get some money for that. Yes, absolutely. So you're coming out of school. Your 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 master's was the end of school. Or, yes. Or, I mean, yeah, I'm, I finished up my dissertation no spoilers, in BC. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have any debt then? I didn't. No. That's no, great. I was. Oh my wow. goodness. But that you know that doesn't speak to me. That speaks to I think the privilege that I grew up in. Right. That I was able to live at home. I, and I got along great with my parents. Um, well, I'd say yes. Yeah, of course. But that that is to be acknowledged. But you also worked. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, I have a, yeah, I have a very Some people won't work at all. And they will, maybe because they, not everybody can handle it. Sure. I get that, right? It's a, it's a big workload, right? You worked instead of getting a student loan or, you know, provincial loans or, you know, Canada government loans. Right. Uh, which you could have probably easily got. Probably. Yeah, either co-signed by your parents sure. or, you know, if your parents made too much money to qualify for the, the funding. But it seems like they instilled that when you're not doing school work and then, yeah, even in the evenings, evenings and weekends, was that how it was? Oh, I school? worked, yeah, in the evenings. I um, During university, I worked with people with disabilities. So I would work, um, wow. you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, um, with a, a young woman who had severe disabilities. So okay. it would be respite care for her parents to go out. And then on Friday evenings, I would work, um, oh my goodness, at the ACT Center back home in uh, in Edmonton. And it was called Fourth Night. And it was just this really big, wonderful social time with people with disabilities. And we okay. got to host that. And oh, fantastic. The fact that I got paid was just a bonus. It was just a joy. Yeah. Um, worked with great people. So you I didn't get caught up in this. Uh, I got to go out and party and and do all this stuff i'm the most boring person in the world though like seriously like parties i went to two parties in high school and that was it i didn't get the i didn't get it i didn't understand why people kept on bragging about it on monday morning because i really didn't have a lot of fun interesting so you you recognize that oh yeah. yeah and you know and i've been lucky enough with that i'm a pretty independent soul so you know, I know I'm not cool. I never strove to be cool. Stro- strived? I don't know what the word is. <laughs> <laughs> we'll pick one of those. Yeah. And I don't strive for it now. So I was pretty um, pretty self-assured even in my teens that I'm just going to go my own way. And, you know, you all do you. And that's fine if you want to party, but that's not my thing. Well, helping people like so early. So you got your master's. You, you do your dissertation after mm-hmm. you moved to BC. Yeah. That? So I moved to BC after my coursework. Um, so we got married and then we got married on a, on a Saturday. And then Wednesday we were living together because he was in BC already. Yeah. And so we'd never lived together. So yeah, <laughs> come Wednesday we became a married couple. <laughs> hindsight, in hindsight, would you recommend this? I, yeah, you know what? <laughs> I, I cannot speak to anybody and what they do with of their course. own relationship. Oh my! Hopefully he doesn't hear this. <laughs> Actually, he knows this. I've said this to him, his face. But if we lived together before we got married, there's no chance we'd have made it. Oh, like really? to the altar, there's no chance. Really, I'd have choked him. Really? Because yeah. he was like at the beginning, frustrating. Yes. And equally so, I'm frustrating. But I also know that I have like little to no patience for a lot of things. I see. So I, you know, I don't think I'm easy <laughs> to live with. <laughs> but, you know, no, because, you know, some days there was a legal binding contract that kept us together yeah. in the first couple of years where you go like, like, was I drunk when yeah. I got married? Like, what the hell, man? <laughs> this is probably a common experience for newlyweds. I think so. And because we didn't live together, we had nothing and we had spent... Our whole two years of engagement and courtship yeah. at a distance. So we just had like weekends. Okay, yeah. 
long distance relationship, it doesn't add up to much time together when you at think all. about it. And it's always honeymooning, right? Like That's you're right. so excited and then yep. you're missing and you don't get to see the reality. You of really it, don't. Right. And somebody's dirty laundry. I was just going to say, know? and he was awfully clean Literally, when I came to visit. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The figurative dirty laundry, too, which maybe we can uh, move on from. So newly married, now you're in BC mm-hmm. in your new place. And so you don't have any debt, mm-hmm. but now you're married. Did you, you know, you, we don't have to talk about this. Did you assume any debt? Or yeah, my there... husband came in with a student loan. Yeah. So, but, you know, funny enough, I mean, we went, we were married in the Orthodox Church. And so similar to many other religions, they require, you know, before you say I do, you got to do marriage preps. <laughs> We did marriage prep, and it just unfortunately wasn't done well. They didn't talk about money. So really? We, we didn't talk about this. I, like, honestly, we've been married. It'll be 20 years in July. I don't know how some days we've managed to stay married. Mm. Not that we don't get along, no, but, no. you know, like, we just didn't know this stuff before we got married. So I think both of us have a, you know, we're loyal and we're committed, but... Wow, we had to work through a lot of stuff around money. Because so when we got married, it was like, oh, hey, we're in love. We'll just put everything in one account, and then we'll just hope for the best. Because that was just what you were told, or what? Well, you and knew? that's what my, you know, what I thought my parents did. But again, we didn't have any kind of money conversation. I don't mm. think Brad, that's my husband, Brad. His parents had that conversation with him. So I think we were just trying to fumble forward and do our best. And it was an epic disaster. I don't know if that's how it happens now in the Orthodox Church, but would they talk about personal finance now, do you think? I don't know that. I really don't. It's so important, though. Yeah, that's a dream job. Like, other than, like, studying Nina Simone, like, that's a dream job is to teach marriage prep. I'd love to do that. Oh, yeah. Right? And, and not in fr- not the religious stuff. That's not my business. You know, your soul is your own business. You know, the how to communicate, how to figure out your money, how, you know, talk about the in-laws and sex and kids and blah, 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 blah. I think we did a lot of reading. Did uh, you? Uh, John uh, Gottman, I think, wrote uh, How Marriages Succeed and f- or Why Marriages Succeed and oh. Fail. He actually studied married yeah. couples for right. years yeah. and scientifically figured out who mm-hmm. was going to get divorced or not. And no apparently kidding. he was right. Like, because he did the study, right? He can only talk to his own study, but it was legitimate enough, I guess. Mm -hmm. And so he does have a lot of gender issues, like in terms of assigning certain things to gender roles. Sure. But other than that, communication Mm -hmm. uh, was a big key. He could uh, witness people communicating with each other, like just in the kitchen about something in the fridge, and he would know like what their result would be. Was that the one where it's like contempt? Like if there's contempt in the communication, like it's pretty much like that's you're, right. it's you're the dead. four horsemen. Uh, so contempt, I think is a big one. And I can't remember the other uh, well, criticism mm-hmm. is yes. part of that as well. If you avoid these things, then you'll be fine if you don't ever let it get that far. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's a very interesting stuff, but none of this is about money. No, it's one of the biggest things and just to skip ahead, mm-hmm. do you get a lot of married couples come in to, to the company? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I remember. So when I first started at, at work at Credit Counseling Society, I, um, I had the privilege of coming in as the program director. So I was leading the counseling team. Yeah. And I, I got to meet with clients, which was amazing. And okay. I remember I was meeting with the wife and her sister came in mm. and she had said like, Things are going south. My husband is ready to... No, they, she hadn't told the husband, forgive me. She had secret debt. Sister was oh, knew about it, was coming in to support debt. her. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. Marriage... Inf- like, what is it? Financial infidelity. Yeah. Right? So she had this big pile of um, secret debt, and she could only resolve it if the husband knew and helped her out. 
um, or she'd have to go down a very different path. And so I said, like, you have to talk to him. You know, here's what you can talk about, but you have to talk with him. They booked a second appointment. Now it was just her and the husband coming in. And she called me just before the appointment and said, you know, I hope you're good because he's ready to divorce me. Oh, so, yeah, man. we get a lot of couples coming in. Yeah, that's a, a betrayal, right? I mean, financial sure betrayal is. is huge. Yeah. And it may make you think, like, well, I don't know anything about this person mm-hmm. now. If they kept that for me, it's almost on the same level as someone cheating on you. Well, it's cheating with your credit card, it right? It really is, right? What I recognize, you know, certainly having been married for as long as I have, is that what shows up on the surface, right, like the tip of the iceberg, that's what other people get to see. Yeah. So, yeah, it is a betrayal and all of that. But there's stuff underneath the surface that drives that behavior, yeah. right? And it, the, the key is to figure out what what's driving the the lies and the deceit and the the not being able to tell the truth about whatever it is. So just to stay in the future for a sec. So it's not really so much about figuring out, you know, how to you know get the payments down or how to reduce the interest or how to figure out mm-hmm. how to reorganize as much as it is addressing the problem. Do you get a chance to do that, though? We do. We do in some respects. I mean, granted, you know, when people are coming to see a credit counselor, they're often coming in because they're in a jam. Yeah. That's right. It. The water yeah. is now either at their chin, at their nose or sure. above their eyebrows. What we need to do is deal with, you know, the situation at hand first. Mm-hmm. So that yep. oftentimes is the numbers and the interest rates and et cetera. Yep. But, you know, we can then start to talk about, like, what brought you here? How long has this been going on? But I think that's where, like, in my department, because I shifted over into education um, in 2012, yeah. I think that's where we can have more impact. Preventatively? Is to, it is. It's yeah. the prevention versus crisis intervention. So giving them information mm-hmm. so that they can figure this stuff out on their own or perhaps even pointers to wherever they need to go mm-hmm. so they don't get into financial trouble first. Exactly. Or if they're in, they can figure out a way out or they need, recognize they need some help. I think where our whole financial industry has failed Canadians is we talk about the facts and the numbers and the interest rates and APR and all these different titles and, and names, but we haven't talked about the heart of money. I mean, the irony for me is that, you know, I actually have a learning disability around numbers and math. Mm. <laughs> so working at, you know, Credit Counseling Society seems, hmm, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, but it's not, a, but you're not going to do the calculations necessarily. No, and I'm not the accountant, right? Yeah. So, you know, thank goodness for all of us that I'm not the accountant. But, <laughs> you know, what I what we can talk about, and I think we're at, you know, what I can bring is we can talk about the relationship, yes. right? The relationship that you have with your own money and then the relationship you have with your people and money. We can talk about that because I think when we get under the surface and understand our history, you know, we, you know, we all have parents, like it or not, whether you like them or not, it doesn't matter, <laughs> but you have them and you were raised with a certain way with money. So you have a certain history. If you don't acknowledge the rear view mirror. I've learned this more and more uh, doing coaching. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, really the, the part of the money part, like we're going to get it all organized. And then let's say maybe they're already organized mm-hmm. and then determining where to put the money. That's like that's the easy. conversation mm-hmm. right at the end. Yeah. It's like it, everything before that drives what to do. Mm-hmm. It's like you can't figure out how much money you have if you don't know what to do with it. Yeah. And you don't know what you want to do with your money in the future. And so let's work on that stuff. It's yeah. really that's so much more important, which makes sense that you would be coming from a, you know, you don't have a degree in commerce or nope. anything like that. Like <laughs> you said, the numbers. Mm-hmm. And so, okay, let's try, go back mm-hmm. the, back to your 24 or so. Right. And you don't know anything about personal oh, no. finance really Nothing. at this point. Mm-hmm. But you want to help people and you have been helping people. 
do you get into this uh, helping in financial space right away or no? Is there, a lot, is there a lot of space in between? There was space in between. So I started, as soon as I got married, I moved out to BC. <clears throat> and then two weeks later, I had a job as a youth care worker. Okay. So I was doing a wake night shift um, with two young girls who had been severely abused and unfortunately had significant behavior problems. So they were with us. They were level three. So they were with us or they'd be in custody. Wow. Yeah. They were pretty, they were pretty intense. Um, and so I did that for six months and then my husband luckily got a job or he got transferred. He actually worked in the banking system or he worked for a bank for a while. Okay. He got a transfer to Kamloops. So we picked up and moved, went across the Coquihalla and moved to Kamloops. And um, that's where I started in the employment industry. Ah. So I've always been a very um, solution-focused kind of girl. Like, I'm pretty practical. Sure. And so, this, you know, I'm not interested. I don't have the training, and I'm not really interested. Like, let's lay on the couch and let's talk about our mothers. Like, gotcha. that therapy is really... You don't really, want to do that. Uh, that's important, yeah. but it's not my sure. thing. So, worked for um, an employment counseling firm. First is the receptionist, because, yeah. um, you know, as far as I'm concerned, all work is noble, unless yeah, you're a right. pimp or a drug dealer. got to start somewhere. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. And it really is the best place to start is right up at the front. That's right. It's hard. I remember I had one employment counselor that said, oh, my stapler's empty. Like, could you fill it? <laughs> so being from Alberta and wearing, you know, the shit on the outside of our shoes, yeah. what I wanted to do is staple her head. <laughs> but I didn't. I just told her, no, I wasn't available to do that. But yeah. but it was great to meet clients. And then I got a job as an employment counselor. So this is where I okay. actually get to work with clients. And oh, I don't smoke, but if I did, like that would be, it was just like, a, <laughs> like it was just such a great job. And this is people who do not have jobs? That's right. They didn't have jobs. Yeah. They were on employment insurance. Okay, and yeah. so the government had set them over for job search help. So this is specifically working with the government, like what, as a third party agency? That's right. We were yeah. a contractor. Yeah. That's right. But it's people who have been referred to you by the government or yep. they're on a list, the EI list. That's and right. And it's mandatory counseling? Those were, no, no. And those weren't mandatory okay. at that point. So, okay. um, but they could kind see us and then we would assess their situation and then refer them to services within the community okay and how do you how do you get connected to those services you just got somebody going out and figuring out who exactly. has jobs yeah that's exactly yeah. it so okay. you know and in that community it was I wouldn't say it's a small community but it's a well it's a tight-knit community in terms of the social mm. services available and what's available to con- to people out there so oh god it was a great job I had a fantastic boss like sometimes the boss makes the difference and the job was really cool but my boss was really great about giving feedback and she'd get the old red pen out on my file and this is like back in the day where paper notes like it's files file folders not the computer system and she'd red circle my notes and then give me some feedback and it was fantastic to just not take it like she never made it personal like I yeah. wasn't I did a bad job no, no. it was just no here's what you you know here's something else to think about and so it was a really great lesson on accepting feedback and accepting yeah. it graciously because she gave it graciously um, so that was a great job and then we my husband got tra- he got promoted and we moved to Vancouver Island okay. so we we hopped on the ferry and moved out there and so you're open to opportunity obviously you're open to oh, different absolutely. experiences this is a seems to be a theme yeah. right <laughs> it seems to be a theme married to my husband that I'm open to. <laughs> but I love that i mean we've had an opportunity to live in really cool places well I, that, that's a good point <clears throat> i wanted to like uh, in terms of you might have just stayed uh, at that great job mm-hmm. right and moved up in that organization Possibly. Like, uh, we knew that Kamloops, because both of us were still pretty young, uh, not that we're old, but we, you know, we were in our 20s. Like, we knew that we wanted to develop our careers further. So we didn't think that Kamloops, um, because it's, it's not isolated, but it's, 
contained. Yeah. We didn't think that it would happen necessarily in Kamloops. So we took the opportunity and went to Vancouver Island and, again, still worked in employment counseling and, and loved it. We'll get into your personal finances. Are you learning anything about personal finances as well? Not in, at all. Not at employment? this point. No? Like you, <laughs> no. You're, not, you're just cooking them up with jobs and their skills, exactly. but there's no talk about, like, hey, you know, if you lose your job again, here's something you could do to, like, it build an emergency fund. That's not even part of it yet. It didn't even cross my no, mind, not, okay. which is terrible. Like, now that I look back on that, yeah, yeah. I think, like, what the hell? How did you not talk about that? But it wasn't part of the mandate of the program. It certainly wasn't part of my personal experience. Like, my husband and I were just trying to fumble forward and figure it out. Yeah. Um, so, no, it didn't come up at all. It's funny how we're, we're hitting all of these things and, and nobody's talking about money. No. And I feel like that's a great opportunity to mention. Would you, like, if oh, you yeah. went back, would you, or, or even now, would you say employment counseling? Absolutely. Right? In fact, we we try to work with employment agencies sure. and work search centers okay, yeah. to actually train their staff. Train their staff. Yeah. We have a, a workshop called Financial First Aid for Service Providers. I like that. Yeah. So it's helping them understand what the rights and responsibilities are of, you know, consumerism and, uh, and especially debt. And then what to do with collection calls for their clients. Yep. Okay. What happens when that client cannot pay. So if they're on social assistance, we talk about the fact that they're protected. Um, and what that looks like, like a communication strategy. And then we talk about, you know, here's some resources in the community so that if you or your client needs more help, here's some safe places they can go. So, yeah, I think it. we should be having this conversation all the time. In, in every situation. In school, in post-secondary, in the workplace, in, yeah, work search centers. Did something trigger, like, you learning about your personal finances, or was it, was it through work? Well, you know what's interesting is that when, I remember when high school, when I got my driver's license, I was driving around a new development around town. And, you know, there's these beautiful, what I perceived as beautiful homes, two cars in the garage, and you know the kids are playing hockey and dance. Sure. And yeah. I would always go, like, what do they do for a living that gets them that life? Yeah. I couldn't understand it. Okay. And now I get it. Yeah. <laughs> Most of them are in debt. That's right. Right? Like not not every Canadian, but no. a lot of Canadians are in debt. So I didn't get it. And then my when I was in my my fourth year of my first degree, um, we had a practicum. And a, co- a, well, stu- a friend of mine, a girlfriend, she actually went to Credit Counseling Services of Alberta, okay. which is now Money Mentors. Oh, sorry. That's uh, changed now. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And so she did her practicum, practicum there. And I thought that was really cool. But moved on, yeah, whatever. Yeah, didn't uh, stay in your mind. That's right. And then when my husband and I moved, we moved back to the mainland um, after the island. And I was still managing an employment center. And then I got promoted into a director role. So I was doing training and development. Okay, yeah. And then I, I was asked to teach at UBC as a sessional. A professor I knew got really sick um, from a trip, a conference she went to. So she had, um, I think it was called triple, lobe, triple pneumonia. So oh, wow. the doctor said, look, sweetie, like, you're at home <laughs> or you're in the hospital. You yeah. can make your choice. So she chose home, obviously. And they asked me to come in and teach her two classes. A guest speaker from the Credit Counseling Society came in. Okay. She was the director of education, Ju- Julie Jagernath. That's you. It was, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and she came in and she did her chat and then we grabbed coffee and she said, you know, we're looking for a program director. And I said, well, I might be interested. So I met the CEO and then I met, slipped him a 20. <laughs> <laughs> and then I met the VP and CEO for a second interview and then I got the job. And that's where, you know, then it really hit home. Because, I mean, we were figuring out our finances, but not in any kind of logical no. sense. We we're, were paying just, the bills. We're paying bills. We're not getting, like, we're 
there's no catastrophe and no emergency, that's so right. things are okay. Because you're both working and we're bo- you're both fine. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of um, financial planning by happenstance. You know? That's right. <laughs> it's kind of like career planning by happenstance. Well, yeah. A lot of people, they just amass, they're just amassing a lot of money in the savings account, don't know what to do with it, right? Because they're making it. Maybe they're frugal. They don't have a lot to spend. They don't have a lot of desires to blow their money. Yeah. So sometimes people, it just happens to work out. Yeah. And then we can be more efficient with their money. Sure. And, you know, figure out what they want to do with it. But they're not in trouble. Yeah. Per se. And that wasn't us. We weren't in trouble, but we weren't certainly amassing a lot of money. We were, because we had moved a few, we had moved my goodness, by our fifth anniversary, we had had nine homes. Okay. Um, not buying and selling, no, but we had renting? Yeah, renting and moving all over yeah. the place. So, um, yeah, we were just kind of figuring it out, but we weren't. So maybe you're spending things that you didn't need to spend yeah, or not looking for the efficiencies. There. No, yeah. no. And, you know, just also trying to figure out the, you know, how do we do this as a couple? Okay. You yeah. know, because financial, you know, me, handling your own finances as an individual, if you're single, is one thing, right? You just have to live with your own consequences. That's right. But when you are sharing your life and your bed and your bank account now with another person, and apparently you have to compromise and collaborate, uh. you know, as I like <laughs> roll my eyes like a 15-year-old, <laughs> you know, that gets a whole lot harder that there's now someone else to consider. That's and right. apparently he's got an opinion <laughs> as well. <laughs> so you have to negotiate when we you do. want mm-hmm. probably anything more than $100, yep. Yep. you know, of spending because... That could mm-hmm. be used for something sure. maybe better, according to the other person. Mm-hmm. So you're navigating that, but you take this job mm-hmm. because this is what you, this is what you do. You're you're putting together uh, programs and you're helping people, and right. that's what this was. Like that's you're right. you're good at organizing and the solution based stuff mm-hmm. that you're talking about, right? You're looking for solutions. And this was like, we're going to fix people's uh, debt problems. Well, it was really cool. Yeah, because I had been interested in university, like I had said, with my uh, friend becoming, you know, doing you a practicum. Cool I did. Yeah. But just moved on from it. And then when this, I mean, literally dropped in my lap, mm. I, I wasn't, you know, I had never considered going to the Credit Counseling Society because I'd never heard of them. Yeah. Um, but really, like immediately when I walked in, I knew that my values aligned for the higher purpose of sure. like I was meant to be there. Yeah. Yeah. So And so you're you're putting together programs. You're are you are you working with people specifically at this point or are you just putting together the things that other people are doing like counselors? Right. So I've got the team. So, you know, I had a, I inherited a really great team um, of counselors and then um, I got to see clients as well. And counseling is a pretty individual activity, right? It's like coaching because I'm a coach as well. Like it's yeah. you and that person and you create the plan, whatever the plan is, depending on what they brought in yeah. and what's going on for them. But it was so fascinating to see you know, all the different stories, all the different budgets. Um, and here, you know, m- it solidified for me that money's not about the money yeah. until it is about the money, but money is about how you feel about it. Absolutely. And it's your relationship with it, money that makes the difference. And everything else in your life, uh, incidents affect money. Oh my goodness. Right. Uh, mental health. And you know, for me, addiction. Absolutely. Right? And so, but, you know, of course, this is a very uh, a personal topic for me because mm-hmm. I went through a consumer proposal, right. uh, you know, 10 years, well, 11 years ago mm-hmm. now. So a scenario then. So I, it's 2008 mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. and I'm like $40,000 in debt. And I come to, instead of Hoys Michaelos, which I found mm-hmm. uh, to do my proposal, I come to the Credit Counseling Society, which may or may not have been in Ontario, which I think probably it was. It wouldn't have been it at that time. Not but at the mm-hmm. time. Um, but let's say I'm in BC, sure. right? 
So I go in and, and I find your website or whatever, or find somebody and I go in and I say, I'm $40,000 in debt. I got a gambling addiction. Mm -hmm. I don't know what to do. Like, wh take me through the scenario. Sure. Wh like, do I meet with a counselor? What oh, do absolutely. Do? Yes. Yeah. yeah, you'd meet with a counselor. I mean, you do the, you know, the call in to book an appointment. Yeah. And we'd get your, you know, your contact information and then you'd book an, uh, book an appointment with a counselor. And that could be done in person because some people like, you know, the, the, to see people's eyes and, and have that, that personal contact and others actually prefer a bit more anonymity so they can do it by yeah. telephone. Yeah. Right? That's, it's, it's tough, right? There's a lot of stigma. Oh. I didn't know what I needed, yeah. but I knew that I needed help yeah. and it took me a long time to get help. Mm -hmm. So this is $40,000 in credit card right. debt, like. Probably yeah. up around 18, 20%. Sure. So I can't even make the minimum payments. Yeah, the water's up at your nose. So what are the uh, what are the options mm -hmm. that you, like for my specific situation at, at that point, but also in general, like what are the mm -hmm. options when somebody comes in with like unmanageable debt? Sure. So, you know, and manageable and unmanageable is entirely personal, right? On your lifestyle and your income, et cetera. So, you know, when I'm working with people, I'm looking at, first of all, like, you know, what brought them here? How did you get to make that really tough call to call us? Because I think we're one of the hardest phone calls to make. Sure. Because money is not like, you know, when you when you break your foot, you go to your doctor and you, you know, with a broken foot and hopefully you get a cast and yeah. you get healed. But there's no stigma attached to it. You just broke your foot. Yeah. It's no shame in having no, a broken foot. But when you have money problems, Ugh. you are... It, like the feelings of shame, embarrassment, stupidity, worthlessness, yep. like it's hopelessness. Um, it's awful. And that's what spirals people into staying isolated and not getting the help. And on top of that, it was mine was caused by something that I did, yeah. right? Whether it was my fault or not, I'd caused this. It mm -hmm. wasn't like, you know, there was an accident and, sure. and something happened mm -hmm. and now I'm in debt and I can't mm -hmm. manage it. I did this. Yeah. And that's the, that's typical with most financial situations because sometimes, you know, life just takes a swipe at us and yeah. we're not prepared. And, you know, and so what we're looking at, is, what I'm looking at is, you know, what brought you here um, and what do you want? Yeah. You know, as a coach, I really like to get into what do you want out of this appointment sure. and what do you want in the future so that we're working towards something positive as opposed to, because I mean, we could spend five hours talking about how bad things have been, but yeah, then you just feel right. worse, right? Yeah. So to me, and I, I learned this in coaching, like you get it, I take a couple minutes of backstory and then we're moving on into, we're, we're stepping into our front wheels okay. and, and we're moving forward into let's get some solutions under our belt. Yeah. So, you know, we look at income, assets, liabilities, monthly expenses, and all the monthly expenses, not yeah. just the ones like I can carry in my head on in the car. I'm, we're talking like two full pages of monthly expenses. So we sit down and we go through oh, yeah. all that. And yeah. we, the yeah. irregular ones that you forget about. That's and right. The annual ones that only make them right. once a year. Yeah. yeah. And then we look at all the debt. So, you know, who do you owe? How much do you owe? What's your interest rate? And where are you at with your payments? And with all of that information, like the numbers will literally dictate the solution, bow. So okay. with that information, then some options can present themselves. Yeah. So I find that options typically fall into three major categories. The first is you can handle it on your own, like the DIY. Sure. There are different ways to do that, right? Budgeting. So increase your income, decrease your expenses, or do both. Um, you can sell assets. You know, whether that's jewelry, art, antiques, a home. Yeah, maybe your house. A lot of people don't even realize how much Absolutely. equity they have, right? Especially out here. Yeah. Sometimes it's selling assets. Sometimes it's conventional financing. You know, people are intimidated to go talk to their, their banker. Yeah. And so we encourage them. If, they, if their credit's still decent and they've got some capacity, you know, maybe you can go do that. And then we can teach them how to budget. Yeah. So it's a concurrent solution. So all of this stuff, if they are just like not knowing what to do, 
it might give them the push to be like, okay, now I have some accountability. Mm -hmm. I'm going to take care of this. We still haven't addressed like why I got in debt in the first place. Maybe Mm -hmm. that's something that you can't help with. Maybe you can, who knows? Mm -hmm. But in any case, you're giving them something structured that they can do. Meanwhile, they were just like, okay, now I'm in trouble. I don't really know how I got there. People don't understand their options, right? And that's only one set of options is when you can handle it on your own. If you can't do that, then you might look at what's called a debt management program. So that's a voluntary program where, and we can do that because we're licensed debt poolers, where we restructure unsecured debts. So we will send proposals out to creditors on that consumer's behalf. If, assuming they accept, which they they typically do, then that consumer stops paying their creditors. They're aware of that, and that's okay, because now they make monthly payments to us, and we disperse those funds on the client's behalf to their creditors at a restructured rate. Okay, so this sounds a lot like a consumer proposal. Similar, but... but- yeah, you're paying 100% of the principal back, okay. but you get a cut on the interest. So all the big banks that everybody complains about yeah. actually drops interest rates from like 19 point whatever down to zero. Zero even. The payday loans that everybody oh. you know wants to eliminate yeah. um, go down to zero. So you can do that with payday loans too. Absolutely. So because they will stop and they know that you're going to pay them. Exactly. So they're cool with that. Mm-hmm. They know they're going to get the regular payments. And then that client's out of the payday loan cycle too. So they have interest relief, which is mm-hmm. a lot of what is making their debt sure. unmanageable. Yeah. So this is like the the next option. You you can afford to pay 100% of the whatever the principal is. Mm-hmm. Maybe the interest is starting to kill you. Yep. And if it keeps going up, you'll get, uh, pay it down in 92 years or yes. whatever it says at the bottom of your statement, yeah. right? So, and you have the relationship with banks and other uh, financial institutions that you can help them uh, get that down. Now, now, like you said, the budget and... W- all of the information from the person will dictate whether they can afford the principal payments. Absolutely. And it really is, it's about the numbers. If yeah. they can't afford it. I remember I had a single mom with two kids when I was counseling and she desperately wanted to do the debt management program, mm. um, but she couldn't afford it. She needed to go bankrupt. Like yeah. things were just too far for her. The sad part is, is she, if she had come to see us a year earlier, she probably could have afforded it. Yeah. But, you know, we also like, for me, it's always about taking as much responsibility as you can. And the numbers will dictate how much you can take responsibility because to, you know, drink water and eat cheap for the next five years so you can pay off your creditors and your kids, you know, have to live this kind of austere lifestyle isn't really the intention. Yeah. Yeah. That might be taking responsibility, but at what expense? Yeah, really. uh, You know, because I remember when I did the budget for my proposal, like there was stuff in there in the budget that I wouldn't even consider. There Mm -hmm. was a budget for savings. Sure. Because like, what am I going to do the next five Mm -hmm. years and not save a dime? That's right. That's a terrible way to expect. Like you should expect somebody to be able to save some Mm -hmm. decent amount of money, Mm -hmm. even if that means it, it makes them not be able to afford their credit card payments because that's like a regular like reasonable life to Mm -hmm. live and so I did like that Mm -hmm. and yeah, mine proved that I couldn't. Yeah. I couldn't yeah. make the monthly payments. No. I think they were $1,000 a month sure. for minimums or something like that. Uh, you know, mine was a very, not, I mean, it's not unique, but it was a, it was very specific sure. because it was gambling mm-hmm. addiction. And so it wasn't like, you know, things just got out of hand by living life. Mm-hmm. It accelerated quickly for mm-hmm. me. So the option, if the debt management doesn't work, do you have another option yep, that reduces? We don't. No. Uh, well, I mean, we can help the occasional consumer with a settlement. So let's say 
Jimmy owes $10,000, but Aunt Gladys gave him five, Yeah, you know, to settle it. We could help him settle it if there's a good reason. Okay. If it's just because Jimmy wants to save five grand, respectfully, that's not our role. Who decides what the reason? The reasons need to be like, I really, this is the best option I've got available to me. I don't, because I've got this five grand, for example, yeah. um, I can offer that out as a settlement because I can't work or I've gotten hurt or I'm sick or I'm retired or whatever. That's the best option their okay. creditor is going to get. So you'll propose that to the credit we will yeah yeah and they might may or may not take it exactly and is it true uh, because i was just reading this uh, for the debt management program can the creditors decide to to stop uh, accepting your your proposal at any time is that like an option they're not mandated by law they're not that's right they're not mandated by law they made an agreement with you that's right it's not the orderly payment of debt the opd program which is offered in alberta okay um, and that's a legislated program okay so no this is completely voluntary and they're essentially there are three volunteers the consumer of course their creditors and then us and you guys and any can pull out at any time but let's be realistic. The only person pulling out oftentimes is the client, right? Something's happened or they can't make their payments. Yeah. And by call it two, three or four payments, depending on the creditor, the creditor's going like, this is a no go for us. So, right? so could, they'll pull out then. If the creditor decides for some ridiculous reason to say, oh, we don't like this deal anymore, mm-hmm. they're probably going to end up getting nothing anyway because the person's going to go bankrupt. Well, that's just it, yeah. right? I mean, so the creditors don't pull out unless payments get stopped, yeah. which I understand, yeah. right? Everybody needs to get paid into this. Like, that's the point of volunteering for the program as a creditor. Um, but so they won't pull out just for any reason. They'll pull out because of non-payment, basically. Okay. So if that consumer, if we need to close down the program, then we will we'll do our best to, you know, get them back on track with their counselor or their client services rep. Okay. But sometimes life just takes a big, fat crap uh, on you. Yeah. And life just happens, right? And so... You know, with the best of intentions, we have to close the program down, and then, then likely they're heading towards a legal solution. So you'll you'll then refer them absolutely to a licensed insolvency trustee. That's exactly it, okay. because that's a viable solution for some consumers, sure. right? As Whether it was the, for me, exactly yeah. like the consumer proposal that you did. Yeah, you know, and thank goodness that that's available. I it saved my life. Sure it did. I think it. Did. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because I mean, finances, as you had said, like it trend, like it just goes over everything. Yeah. And being stressed about your money never makes life better. It makes your back sore. Like when if you have a sore back, it's going to make it worse. If you have yeah. a headache, it's going to make it worse. And if you've got any kind of mental health, it will make it worse. Yeah, I was stressed about trying to figure out why I was gambling so sure. much. So when I did this proposal, it didn't cost me anything except for a ruined credit rating, mm-hmm. which I mm-hmm. welcomed sure. at the yeah, time because okay. mm-hmm. credit was ruining my mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. It really was. Like, uh, you know, I'm, I wasn't making trips to the, the casino, uh, the physical one down, you know, I was getting on a bus. That wasn't for me. Right. I didn't have the time for that nor the desire. It was all easily accessible online oh, for yes, me. Yes. That's how I was doing it. So credit cards were sort of the only way. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, I figured out a way to do it later in another <laughs> relapse, but that's another story. Mm-hmm. Probably the most severe stopgap measure that I did, but mm-hmm. it was still just a stopgap measure. It wasn't a solution. And I guess that that's that's the big thing to note about all this is that you'll help them figure out whatever the debt solution is. So let's say it's a debt management program. 
will you then refer them to any other like uh, help for like you know psychological help or will you continue to work with them what's, oh, the, what's the process after yeah. that yeah so if they you know so if they go towards a legal solution be it a consumer proposal or bankruptcy yeah. then they're moving towards to the that that's yeah. right and we will work with trustees only that you know obviously treat our clients with dignity and sure. respect yeah. and actually don't accept um, referrals from debt brokers and don't get paid for that yeah. that's exactly yeah. it we yeah. won't work with trustees that yeah. do that Good. and then they have to do their mandatory you know counseling sessions there yep. but the clients are always welcome to come back to us like whether that's you know with us in education doing the free webinars we offer 28 a month or it's doing a budgeting session with a counselor they can do that as well and they're open to that because they've been through and maybe you can give them the solution they needed but they you help them sure and everything that you do is free it for, is for the client it is except the debt management program so that if the client is doing the debt management program yeah. we've got we can go up to five years yeah. um that they can pay it off so you know, for as long as that client is working on that, we're in a relationship with them. They have a credit counselor yep. that's theirs, and they okay. also have a client services rep, and that's the person who's the go-between, the counselor, the client, and the creditors. Mm -hmm. So they're negotiating on their behalf, and they're talking with the creditors if necessary. Um, and then they've got access to the education team. So coming to, you know, a local library workshop if they wish to learn how to budget. Or like I said, we offer 28 webinars a month that they can take. And those are all free and completely accessible. And so, yeah, I guess it's a good point to, to address how you get paid. Absolutely. Yeah. So the, that's part of the debt management program. You will get paid. Yes. Yeah, so what happens is that if anybody comes to a credit counselor yeah. for us, it's entirely free. Okay. So they can come see someone yep. for free and that's, that's no problem. If they establish a debt management program, then there's a $75 setup fee okay. in Ontario. It's 50. We can waive it if necessary, but I see it more as a commitment fee. One-time fee. Well, it is a one-time fee in the sense of, you know, when things are free, you can people opt in and opt out and get wishy-washy about things. I hear you. And there's yeah. a lot of work that's involved in establishing yeah. a debt management program, yeah. like administrative work, sending proposals, setting up the file, et cetera. Yeah. So if you want it, you know, then, then you have to put 50 bucks down. Sure. Um, and again, if that doesn't work, if you're really strapped, we can slide it down or waive it. Yeah. But, you know, we want to show that you're committed or we want to see that. Okay. And then there's a monthly, there's a 10% fee on the monthly deposit. So I'll give you two examples. Yeah. If say a consumer is paying five hundred dollars a month, yep. then that would be five fifty. Five five hundred goes back to the creditors, and we hold fifty back to for lights, internet, yeah, you know, yeah. salaries to, to pay for to things. pay for the work. And they're at this point probably saving more than the fifty dollars. Oh my goodness! Extreme they are because right? you're. This is. There's a there's a light at the end of the tunnel with a debt management program. There you is. can see the fund like you will be paid off by this date, which you can never see with a credit card. That's right. Or anything like that. So because you did all the work to organize, you figured out the payment plan, which is just the principal that's left, and then a fixed ten percent on top mm -hmm. of that mm -hmm. to pay. Every yeah, time. to a max. Yeah. and it has oh, a max. It has a max. It does. And what it will do as well is that let's say somebody's got three teenage kids and you know, bless our teenagers, but they eat a lot of food. Yep. Um, and if the kids are eating, you know, the consumer out of house and home, that can get slid down or it can get waived with manager approval. So, you know, that's the beauty about it being a nonprofit charity is that we're not in business to make a profit on people's sure. backs. 
But lights are not free. Internet is not free and neither are salaries. So we still need to pay for that as well. And you get funding from the banks as well? Yeah. So 70% of our funding, Bo, comes from creditor donations. So as we disperse funds through the debt management program to creditors, they will actually donate money back to keep the credit counseling free and the education free and cost neutral. Yeah. yeah. So, and it, is it? It's not specific. Oh, as you refer money to them, they'll 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 give it back. Sure. That's they'll a, give a portion so, back. So it's yes. a tra- it's a trade off yep. sort of thing. It's and, actually considered you, a donation. You mm-hmm. work with all because you're a not for profit. It's a donation. That's yeah. right. Mm-hmm. That's that's good. I like the I like the way that that's set mm-hmm. up in terms of. You know, you're taking the bank's money back mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. using it to re-educate people. We are. I right? you know, so that we, do, you know, as I joke that, you know, we love our clients. We just don't want to love them for a long time. Like, I <laughs> yeah, respectfully, right. I don't want a 20-year relationship with a client. It clearly means I'm not doing my job. Like, we want yeah. them to figure it out and be happy and move on. Hopefully, they have fond thoughts of us. Um, but move on and have a happy life. That's success. Yeah, and it's like the the banks wouldn't do this themselves, right? If you no. just went to them and mm-hmm. said, right? So there's so many options out there, right? Like payday loans were created to to be better than loan sharks, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, funny enough, it was supposed they to be a, a, a better option, right? Mm-hmm. I would never ever want anyone to do that, right? And you know, I never, I don't want anyone to go through a debt management program, but it's better than they're paying twenty percent mm-hmm. on credit cards forever. Sure, it's like there's stages as you go, right? And then of course the proposal that I did, it's good in that it's saved you money, but it's it ruined my credit for seven years, mm-hmm. including the the time that took to pay plus the the time sure. afterwards. But it also gave me time to figure out stuff and save money. Mm-hmm. But that. But if you could pay legally, maybe that's not the option for you. And also, maybe you don't want to ruin your credit because mm-hmm. you maybe just need to, to reorganize, as sure. you said, the, the counseling, right? Mm-hmm. But the, the thing about proposals that I want to mention is that there are fees, sure. but they're all included in the, the amount that you mm-hmm. negotiate, right? So for me, it was 40000 went down to fifteen, mm-hmm. And out of that fifteen, then that gets distributed Amongst the the insolvency trustee, the government mm-hmm. gets five percent mm-hmm. of that. This trustee gets twenty percent, and then the rest of it goes to the creditors. Mm-hmm. But I didn't care about sure. that because mm-hmm. it was you had a solution. Fifty payments of three hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that like it saved me twenty five thousand dollars. And as somebody just commented on online, somebody paid that twenty five thousand uh, dollars, but it wasn't me. Mm-hmm. And the banks have huge budgets for for losses, potential losses, right? So they're ready for defaults, are they not? There's an expectation of a certain percentage will default, right? So we shouldn't feel bad about taking advantage of solutions, whether it be your debt management solution or proposal or bankruptcy. I absolutely agree. I mean, I actually met with um, some clients last week and had said um, one of them needed to go bankrupt. And I had said like, Respectfully, your creditors will stay in business even if you go bankrupt on these debts. Yeah. So look, you know, it, for, again, I go back to it's about taking the responsibility that you financially can afford yeah, to, right? Absolutely. Sometimes that is paying it all and paying with interest. Fair enough. That was the agreement. Hmm. But sometimes life gets in the way. So maybe, you know, if we go down the line of intervention, maybe the next is you can pay 100% of the principal, like a debt management program, but you need a break on the interest rates. And maybe you can't pay for your, you know, in your example, you can't pay the 40000 but you can pay fifteen. That's right. over the course of five years. Okay, that's still taking responsibility. And Partial, sometimes, yeah. yeah, but it's still, I mean... You Bankruptcy do, would have been zero. Well, yeah, yeah or or a little bit. A little right? bit, yes, yeah. right, a little bit, yeah. And sometimes that's the only option, and that's okay. Ideally, though, you're not wrap. You know, we're not wrapping around and keeping on the same solution. 
I remember I met with a, this was years ago. I met with a, um, a credit union and she said, yeah, we don't need your services. Like we don't, our clients don't because I just helped my client, you know, yesterday with the fifth, um, consolidation loan. Hmm. So luckily I... there's a filter between, you know, Stacy's inside voice and what she says out loud <laughs> and the, the door was down. But in my head, I'm thinking, oh, sweetie, that's not helping. That's enabling. Like that it is. you're, you know, yeah, you're enabling the problem. Because when you consolidate, say, credit cards into a loan, you're opening up the credit card balances, right? Mm -hmm. And then, and of course, that's why the fifth one happened because they kept right. racking it up that's again. That's right. Now, luckily, most financial institutions will require you to close them down. Okay. But not all and not at that point. Yeah. So, yeah, it was crazy. I had to cut mine up or oh, yeah. give, I had to hand them mm -hmm. over. I had yeah. to hand up over my credit card. When I was counseling, I would hand over the scissors and, yeah. you know, and we have like, buckets of cut up credit cards all over the place um as part of the decor <laughs> in yeah. our office and for the christmas tree like there's cut up credit cards with tinsel around them you know <laughs> as decorations like That's it is awesome. what it is but i remember one client said well no you cut them up i'm like no i didn't get boots out of this like no this is yours you get to cut them yeah, up you, it's not you my job yeah. yeah and i do have to give a shout out to, to the secured credit card people Absolutely. because uh you know people's trust in in bc mm -hmm. Uh, they're the only ones who would help me. Mm -hmm. I tried even partway, actually after I paid off my proposal to try to get a secured credit card from TD, and I they wouldn't because they have very strict. They do. They said I think I had to be out of the proposal for two years mm -hmm. or more, like or or have it completely cleared. And so every bank and every institution has their different policies and what kind of risk they're going to take. It's hardly a risk if I give somebody five hundred dollars and then uh, they give me five hundred in credit. That's right. It's but, no risk. But mm -hmm. for TD and other banks, I'm sure. Mm -hmm giving them $500, they were still felt it risky, even though they could have paid it off with my $500. Mm -hmm. I don't understand that policy specifically, but you know, that's, that's why like you um, need to be able to rebuild your credit. Absolutely. It's nice to have the options out mm -hmm. there. And maybe just that, you know, they didn't like how many credit cards that I had defaulted on. And, and to your point, I mean, every financial institution, ha I mean, there's, you know, Equifax credit scores, there's TransUnion, yeah. you know, stuff. But then they also filter it through their own system and create their As own well. scores, right? Yeah. And again, to your point, it's based on their policies. And some are a little more risk adverse and yeah. some are a little less risk adverse. True. But yeah, the rebuilding credit. I mean, and that's the thing, you know, everybody thinks, not everybody. My husband accuses me of doing the everybody, everybody and always yeah. and never. <laughs> me too. I do that. <laughs> always, Stacy. <laughs> Is no. it really always? <laughs> um, a lot of people think that, you know, credit's everything. Credit is what it is, right? It's a weapon or a tool. It just yeah. depends on how you use it. The banks made it. Absolutely. Right? So you can live without it or you can use it wisely um, or you can use it not wisely and then you get into trouble but you know it goes up and it can go down as well mm. but the beauty about low credit or bad credit is with good behavior and time and some patience you can actually build it right back up yeah my mm -hmm. score is 836 Yay. now well with mm -hmm. transunion you know <laughs> i don't know equifax is a different score they do have they're different. up in the 730 something mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but seven maybe 780 mm -hmm. or 760 but still mm -hmm. i mean that was a, these are both great credit scores i'm sure. not complaining yeah. right but i just that tells you how mm -hmm. different the, even the two credit reporting agencies are oh absolutely and so you know how it's just more about making sure that you make responsible decisions and not being too fixed on your credit score either Oh, Absolutely. I got to get it up here. What did I do? You don't. You know? yeah. yeah. Well, and I don't, I, you know, when I teach, um, we have a workshop called the truth about credit. And I, yeah. and I said to, you know, my, my clients, like, look, I don't actually worry about my credit score unless I'm about to buy a home yeah. or a vehicle. Exactly. Otherwise it goes up and, and down every couple of weeks. So I'm not going to sweat it. 
what I am going to sweat is my credit report. Yes. Because if Accuracy. that's accurate, that will feed the credit score. Absolutely. But if it's not accurate, then decisions are getting made on my behalf based on inaccurate information. And I'll take the opportunity to say that you should review it. And especially after you've been through anything like a proposal yes. or any sort of thing that puts a mark on your report, don't just assume it's going to clear. Oh, right? goodness. The, the, <laughs> they both cleared the the proposal from my uh, reports, but they left the associated credit cards there that said that they were cleared by proposal. Really? So I'm like, how can you clear the main thing but not the associated things? Like, it should be just automatic. Sure. So I had to write them a couple mm-hmm. of times, both agencies, mm-hmm. in order to clean it up. But that's your responsibility to and do are mistakes all over credit all reports. All over the place. Yeah, so I think people, I think you're bang on. People do not, should not assume that their credit report is good. Um, they should check it to make sure that it's accurate. Yes. And and if it is, great. If it's not, then you got to go fix it. So it seems like you learned all of this on the job, I am really I right? I really did. Yeah. Oh my goodness, my training... <laughs> My training consisted of an hour with the CEO, and then I got to observe some of the counselors. And then as they're working with clients, I'm like figuring out my notes for training, but then I'm also in my head going, this impacts me personally. This is how I'm going to change things. Oh, I learned everything I've learned about money by working at the Credit Counseling Society. Thank goodness. Learn by by teaching. (laughs) Well, I learned by people teaching me, and then, you know, and I, you know, I appreciate when people are willing to tell their story like we're talking about today yeah and talk about you know some hard times that they've gone through because i think that in the financial industry we're so used to the business suits and the desk and the expertise you know well when it comes to money and shame and embarrassment the last thing i need is a quote-unquote expert i need someone who's real yeah and who's willing to talk about mistakes that they've made and you know give me some advice but it's based on real life not just what the books say um, and I think that's a failing in the industry. And I think we not, need to be a lot more real. It's not about like finding the best investment strategy either. That's like the conversation to have once you got everything else sure. taken care of. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, if you just put this money in here and get 10%, uh, you know, you'll be fine. No, well, let's just figure out how to spend less than you make first, which is one of the toughest things, as simple as it sounds, isn't it? And the thing is, is that, you know, when people say, um, like, because we have a workplace program called Money Smart Living. And so when we're talking with HR, they say, don't, you know, our people don't have financial problems or if they do, that's okay. They can go to the EAP. And so we have a workshop called Financial First Aid for HR Professionals. And part of it is... Do you know where your EAP is sending people? Mm. Well, no. Okay, then part of your homework is you need to go find out. Because oftentimes EAPs will send uh, a consumer who's got financial problems to a financial planner. So financial planning is valuable, but not when I've got financial problems because the plan will fall apart before I walk out of the door. That's right. They'll probably make a good plan and stuff, but they they won't be able to address if you have debt problems they no. might they might not uh, not all financial plans nope, but yep, typically maybe. that's not their no. their mandate well a lot of them anyway mm-hmm. i spoke to a couple of good ones recently yes but employee assistance program right eap and usually in big corporations yeah. yes or they'll send them to a licensed insolvency trustee yeah so that again has its value but that should not be the first place a consumer with money problems goes to now granted i own my bias and i completely yeah. you know and at the risk of shamelessly plugging the industry yeah. if the water is anywhere near your chin the first person you need to talk to is a nonprofit credit counselor mm. uh, it doesn't matter if it's us but they should talk because there's neutrality it's unbiased and it's based on your numbers will tell you what the solution is. I just want people to know that there's options out there. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And, and you are right that it 
might be intimidating to go to an insolvency trustee. There's a lot of stigma surrounding that, right? And let's be honest here. It's a business. Yeah. It's a business that makes money. I don't begrudge that. I make money as well. I don't volunteer at my job. Yeah. It's my job. Um, so I don't begrudge anybody making money, but it is a business. Yeah, they're all businesses. Even, even You're right. I mean, I fully acknowledge that even though it's a, supported by the government and mm-hmm. everything's mandated and controlled, say, in the trustee area, you're right. It is still a business. Hopefully, everybody is trying to make the right decision for everybody and not you know the, the what's going to make people m- the most money. I think you know that's... There are good ones and bad ones. Yes, and I'm going to say everybody mm-hmm. because there are people who, are, like you said, do uh, get referral fees mm-hmm. and do refer people for money. And in this business of debt management, that's not really the best policy. It, it's really not in the sense of, you know, when you are vulnerable, when you are feeling embarrassed and worse, when you are feeling shame about anything in your life, life's not going well, right? Mm-hmm. You're in a pretty dark place. And so the last thing you need is, you know, to feel worse or to get into a worse situation or a situation you didn't need to be in, like to get into. Yeah. So people will take the first, because they won't ask for help, right? We'll talk about sex. I mean, go out on Friday night and figure out what people are talking, eavesdrop. You Everybody know, f- talks about everything but, but money. But money. Like I'm not showing my best friend, you know, my pay stub yeah. or my debt load. Right? Why not? Yeah, why not? But I sure will talk about everything else, but I won't talk about that. So that, you know, because I'm isolated, I'm not, I'm ashamed of what's going on. I'm really stressed. I'm not sleeping. I will take the first life raft that comes to me. Mm. So that might be a good ad on the radio. It might be a Google search. Yeah, I can pull up a lot of products yeah. and services. Whoever pays the most for right? the ads. Yeah. yeah, it could be a transit ad, whatever. But because I'm not, I, we haven't talked about it in school. We haven't talked about it in the workplace. I don't know who's the best. So I'm going to take the best ad and I'm going to go there. Well, you don't always end up in the best place. Yeah. So again, I mean, and I recognize the shameless plug, but yeah. that's where I encourage people like, Talk with a nonprofit credit counselor. They have literally no vested interest in what you do. There is no risk. And, and I, I'm going to agree with you in that just explore various options. If you are at all concerned after meeting with a nonprofit credit counselor, then yeah, go somewhere Find else. Find another one. If, mm-hmm. you know, if it comes up that you may be a candidate for a proposal or bankruptcy, mm-hmm. then go talk to a trustee. That's free too. Absolutely. It's all free until you make a decision. You don't have to worry about it with the, with the proposal or bankruptcy. I mean, there there are a lot of things to consider for those, sure. right? And I went yes. through. You know, the proposal. I always say it's free. You know, uh, it's free monetarily. You save a lot of money, but there's a lot of other costs. To yeah, it. you're paying. Yeah, there's costs, right? right? And there's fees associated yeah, with it as well. Fees, so. but mm-hmm. but they're within, yeah. right? I you know mm-hmm. I say there are fees. Everybody gets mm-hmm. paid, right? Everybody's mm-hmm. getting paid to do all this, right? You're getting a salary mm-hmm. that's you know the funded by the donations, sure. right? Or uh, the debt management fees, right? Those mm-hmm. kinds of things, right? But everybody's just trying to help people get out of debt mm-hmm. and educate them on how to not get into it. And I think as long as we all just you know play well together, right? <laughs> and as long as we all recognize that there isn't one like best place to go for anything, everybody's situation is different, mm-hmm. and it's okay to talk to a bunch of different places, then I think we'll be fine. And you pick the place that's most comfortable for you. I think that's that's right. And I do I, like that you refer to trustees when, oh, you, absolutely. when you know. If you're like, this is a clear candidate for a proposal, you're not going to try to talk them in to doing the other things. They can't afford it. And they right? can't afford it. Yeah. And it's, it's like the numbers speak for themselves, mm-hmm. right? And the tr- I believe the trustee will do the same. If they come in and say, well, you know what? Yeah, you got assets. You got other things. I don't think you, the proposal is right for you. And here's all the things. It ultimately is the consumer's decision. No one's mm-hmm. going to force anybody into anything, right? Mm-hmm. 
And so they might say, hey, you know, may, maybe you should just do this or this or that instead of like doing filing this proposal. I feel like everybody that I know <laughs> in the business is doing everything uh, in the best interest of the client. Not everybody does do that. Though. There are some really great players out yes. there, like whether that's, you know, trustees, uh, credit counselors, exactly. bankers, financial planners, yeah. accountants, right? There are good mechanics and they're bad mechanics that's and right. they're good doctors and bad doctors. Exactly. So no industry is going to be absent of bad players. Totally right. The challenge is, is that helping people get enough confidence and enough self-assurance to ask the questions even when they're feeling dark and hopeless and ashamed. Yeah. Because I know when I feel ashamed, I'm not very resilient or creative or I can't figure it out, right? And so that's where we want great players to go, you know what, you're okay. Yeah. You're not a bad person. Things just went sideways financially. Perfect. But you're actually still a really great person. Awesome. Yeah. I think that's a great place to end it. Cool. Thanks so much for coming hey, thank here you. to the studio. Yeah, Credit Counseling Society. I'll give them a website. Sure. It's uh, www.nomoredebts.org, or they can call us at one 527 8999 and it's a free session if they want to come talk about their money. Great. I'll put those links in the notes. Again, so many options. I love it. Everybody's out to help. Uh, you know, this is a really great talk. Hopefully, uh, everybody gets out of debt. I hope so, right? <laughs> That's our goal. Our goal is to work ourselves right out of business. So. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I really do appreciate it, Bo. All Thanks. Right. And that was episode 86 with Stacy Yanchuk Alexi. So in the interview, I talked about the pros and cons of filing a consumer proposal with an insolvency trustee. Ultimately, I think it was an essential move for me, and I'm glad I did it. 11 years later and everything's pretty great. My credit score is excellent and I've been debt-free for a long time and I feel fortunate to have been able to save a lot of money after I paid off my proposal in 2012. But there's one thing that I didn't mention that will never be fixed and that's my relationship with the financial institutions that were involved with my proposal. I didn't think much of it until just recently, actually. If you've ever heard me talk about how I use credit lately, you know that now it's just a tool to make purchases easier and to get rewards. I basically pay my balance every week, if not every day. I buy two things more than anything else, groceries and gas. I don't have to explain groceries, and gas is because I drive for Uber a few times a week. I'm a huge fan of PC Optimum points, and now you can get them when you buy gas, so I'm like, I should get a PC Financial MasterCard and use that just for groceries and gas. I get so many more points for doing what I already do. So I applied for the card and a letter comes in the mail the next week. It's not your typical approved or declined letter, but instead it says that I already have an account at PC Financial and I should call them for more information. I'm thinking that's weird. And then I remember PC Financial was one of the financial institutions included in my consumer proposal 11 years ago. So I called them up and they confirmed that my account was never closed and it never will be closed. It will always be there with a note that says it was shut down due to a debt settlement or whatever note they have. The bottom line is that I'll never be able to get a credit card from PC Financial, no matter how much I want to collect more PC Optimum points. Not the end of the world or anything, but just something to keep in mind. If you've been through a proposal or are thinking about it, even though your credit report is eventually cleared, you stay on the bank's blacklist forever. I can't confirm that this is always the case, but it wouldn't surprise me. Why would they take a risk that I might burn them again? I'm not the same person I was 11 years ago, but I still have to accept that my past actions have consequences that I can't fix, no matter what. 
If you like the podcast and want to see me get to episode 100 and beyond, please support the podcast by going to my Patreon site and becoming a patron. It's only a few bucks a week, but if enough people do it, it starts to add up. Head over to patreon.com slash bowhumphreys if you're interested. I am now offering free 15-minute personal finance consultations online. I am a personal finance coach, so if you're looking for someone to help you get organized, head over to bowhumphreys.com and click on the banner to book a free 15-minute personal finance consultation. We'll chat about your situation, and you can decide if booking an hourly coaching session is something that will help you get moving in the right direction. What I find is that a lot of people are right on the edge of doing something to improve their finances. And the ironic solution to making progress financially is to spend some money on a monthly coaching session. I have a personal finance webinar coming up next week on Wednesday, June 19th, 2019 at 12 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Michelle Hung, the sassy investor from episode 70 of the podcast, will be joining me for a webinar we're calling Lunchtime with Bo and Michelle. If you ever wanted to ask me or Michelle a question about pretty much anything, this is your opportunity. To register for the webinar, head to bowhumphreys.com slash webinar. That's it for this episode. I'll be back next week with America's student loan debt expert and founder of The College Investor, Robert Farrington.